The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. Go ahead and if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter. We're going to continue this morning in the series that we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks called The Art of Neighboring. And we uh, saw in the first week that Boy, Jesus, when He said, gave us a great command that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then that second part of it, uh, by the way, He said, if you take all of the commandments of God, you can sum them up in these two. These are the two greatest commands. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And we looked at that if we're not careful, we can develop kind of this metaphorical neighbor. And we say, yeah, everybody is my neighbor, but neglect what Jesus quite possibly and probably meant when he said love your neighbor he's telling us to love those that are right next door to us our our literal neighbors and what easier way to express God's love what more convenient way than to reach out and to really love our neighbors and we gave everybody one of these little uh, block box frame how many of you uh, got one of these if you didn't there are plenty out in the lobby and the first thing take an easy step that we encouraged all of us to do was to get to know at minimum the names of all of our neighbors if you're like me first and last forget it I can get first name but at least begin to get to know your neighbors even if you've been there 20 years and you haven't met that next door neighbor take the step and begin to meet and get engaged in their life in some way or the other. And then last week we started looking at uh, one of two or three barriers that I see that kind of hinders me in some way of getting to know my neighbor. And that first barrier that we talked about last week was the time barrier, that we live in such a busy, hectic culture that we sense and feel as though I don't have time to maintain the relationships that I have. You know, there's 2,000 friends that you have on Facebook or Instagram that you don't know 95% of them anyway. I don't have time to invest in those people that I know anyway. How am I going to carve out room in my life so that I might get to know my neighbors? And we realize that what God cherishes most What Jesus cares about the most, as we looked at the story of Martha and Mary, that the thing that He cares about, God cares about the most, it's it's the number one thing on God's heart, and that is relationship. We see it in the Trinity in itself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in complete unity and relationship, three separate uh, persons, but one in relationship. In the fall in the garden, the first thing that God began to do is to establish that relationship with man that had been broken by sin. And all throughout Scripture, we see God continuing to pursue relationship. And He told Martha that her sister Mary was doing the greater thing by sitting at His feet and engaging in relationship. We also saw that it was necessary in our lives that if we're going to be Christ followers, if we're going to follow Jesus and be obedient to His commands, then we, by necessity, have to carve out in our life times that we can be intentional at making new relationships so that we can share the love of Christ with those that are around us. I got several uh, people that fed, have been feeding back to me over the last couple of weeks how they've begun to take steps in this, and they're amazed at, at what's been happening, and they're actually enjoying it. Isn't that great? Uh, I got an email text, or text, not an email text, I got a text 
uh, from my wife yesterday, who one of the moms, Jenny Hammonds, who uh, had a big party at their house the other night. By the way, happy 16th to all of y'all. There, I think there's more than one, so I'm not going to single anybody out. Uh, but all the kids were there, and two of the little kids were there. Uh, Kate Hammonds and my granddaughter, Sayla Lunsford, were there. And they had this idea that they wanted to go out and do some neighboring the next day. And so on Saturday night, they were in the kitchen making lemonade and doing all the fixings. They put a stand out in front of the street, free lemonade, and there they are. Aren't those the cutest little redheads you've ever seen in your life? Yeah? Uh, so they had their stand there, and were there the sand, they had some signs that were there. Being type A kids, they said, how to get your lemonade, pick your cup. We will put ice in the cup, then we will pour your ice-cold lemonade, pick candy or a cookie, and enjoy. But along with that, they put the sign that said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever would believe in Him should not. Don't you love the bold letters? Not perish, but have eternal life. Have a blessed day. Jesus loves you so much. Uh, Jenny had shared that these uh, girls had this great idea to do that, and it was on their own intention to love their neighbors, and she shared that they ended up, I guess Jenny and Dave, or Dave, did you sit in the house with your feet kicked up? I'm not sure you did, okay? But we ended up getting to meet a neighbor that I have never met, even though we lived here for six years. We also spent about an hour talking to a neighbor from next door that we don't get to see very often. One of our neighbors stopped and asked, why in the world are you giving lemonade away for free? And I'll let the kids answer. And the kids, uh, the girls said that they just wanted to show love to their neighbors and you should have seen her face so shocked. Yay, God! Isn't that neat? Now, don't throw rocks at me. I know I have the bully pulpit and I'm able to talk about my granddaughter, but if you're a grandparent, you'd do the same thing as well. And so, but uh, if you want me to show pictures of your kids neighboring, just send them to me. We'll do it. I think it's exciting. As I stop to think about this, uh, this is kind of a side note from the message, though. I, I know both families and I know moms and dads are engaged in these families of, of teaching their kids to be Christ followers. They realize that they're the primary disciples in their kids' lives, and, and they're leading them in that way. But I thought, you know what? It's not just the parents, because we have so many in the body here that are engaged in that next generation, investing into their lives as they're following Jesus, and they're teaching these kids, look, follow Jesus like I'm following Jesus. And just for a moment, if uh, those that are involved in any area, children's ministry, kids' ministry, student ministry, we want to thank y'all. And so everybody else, just put your hands together and thank them for their involvement in it. It's exciting. I get excited when I see this student ministry and how strong it is. And I think, man, the kid's coming up. It's great. They put us to shame. And I love that. Well, today I want to talk about the, the other barrier that seems to be there. And that is what I've called, uh, defined as the fear barrier. That there seems to be a fear that we have, whether we acknowledge it or not, but, but there's a fear that we have in engaging to love our neighbors, and especially when it comes to loving those who might be outside of, I'll use the word tribe, and, and meaning those that we associate with, those that we have common interest with, common likes, common character, common culture, that there seems to be a fear of stepping outside of that 
in order to love a neighbor who might be of another tribe. Does that make sense? And, and that fear sometimes is predicated by our past experiences. Sometimes it's just good old selfishness that does that. But when I look at Jesus' life, and by the way, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, right? Meaning that we're followers of Christ. And the things that we saw Him do as a disciple of Jesus, we want to do those things in our life as well. And as we read the gospel, the one thing I notice about Jesus is Jesus was never afraid to step outside of His tribe in order to engage with those who are of another tribe. Uh, we, we see it, and oftentimes the thing that Jesus was most criticized by, particularly the religious leaders for doing, was stepping outside of that tribe, that religious group, to engage those who did not know God, didn't have a relationship with Him, quite often causes me to ask the question that if that's what Jesus did isn't that what you and I should do because we're his followers right and I recognize that especially the longer we get engaged in the church community that sometimes we can spend all of our time with those only in our tribe and we don't intentionally engage outside of that so that we can show the love of Christ to them. You see, I'm under the conviction that as believers, when we come together on Sunday morning or whether it's your small group or whatever times you get together, that yeah, that's, that's a time where we encourage one another, that's a time where we're edified through the Word of God and we study that, but it's also a time that by the end of that occasion, we should be charged up and ready to go out and penetrate those that are around us and share the love of Christ with them. In other words, we get our marching orders when we come together, right? So that we might engage and love those outside of the faith. Now, when I was first saved, it was necessary and it was important for me. And I'm glad the guy that discipled me, his name was Julian. Uh, Julian saw in my life that I was coming out of a very seated, seedy I'm sorry for that, seedy background, and it was important that I take some time to cut from those that I had been engaged with in life during that time, because there was a great fear that if I continued to hang with them, there was a danger that I might be drawn back into the lifestyle that I was once living, right? But as we mature in Christ, if we're maturing in Christ, it should be that God has done a work in us, we're sanctified, and there's a time that we need to go back and engage with those to love them as Jesus commanded us to love them so that they might see the love of Christ in us. Now let me put in parentheses here for just a moment, and let me speak mainly to some young, of the younger crowd. That does not mean that if you get flutter in your heart for one of the opposite sex and they don't know Jesus, that God's going to use you to win them to Jesus. Amen? Can I say that again? You see, Jesus called us. I heard some dads say amen. <laughs> Y'all know what I taught Sarah when she was growing up, right? Have I told you this before? I taught Sarah that all boys are scum. I told her some boys are good scum, some boys are bad scum. 
But all boys are scum. She asked me one day, Dad, what were you? And I said, I was an exception. (laughs) So you see, there's wisdom in that. But Jesus said that we are to be in the world, but what? Not of the world. And as Christ's followers, I don't understand this, why He would do it, but He has chosen you and I to engage the lost world, to love them with His love, so that they might be drawn to Him. Now, if I were God, I'd find another way to do it. But He decided to use us, as messed up as we are. And so He tells us that, listen, you're to be in the world, but you're not to be of the world. And I think that one of the things oftentimes that keeps us as believers from entering into another tribe outside of the church tribe is the fear of those that we have of those within our own tribe. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you made some religious folks in your life really uncomfortable about who you were hanging out with? Right? Um, You know, I don't want anybody in, in the church seeing me associate or hang out with this person because I'm afraid they might get the wrong idea about who? Me. But don't we see Jesus doing that in His life? And we should not be surprised when we get the same criticisms that Jesus got, but Jesus was not being of the world, but He was, what, in the world, as He calls us to do. In your Bibles, in Luke chapter 7, there's a story that you're all familiar with that I want to use to kind of illustrate this point in that we need not be fearful of our own tribe in order to do what Jesus has told us to do, and that is to engage with those who are lost by sharing the love of Christ with them. Look at verse 36 of Luke chapter 7 as we begin to read this text, 36 to 38. Let me just kind of set the scene. One of the Pharisees, or religious leaders, asked Jesus to come and eat with him at his house. And when Jesus went into the Pharisee's house, he took a place at the table. And at the time while he was there, a woman of the city who was a sinner. By the way, when Luke describes her as sinner, that was a buzzword to say that this woman was a prostitute. And everybody in the community knew that she was a prostitute. And so Jesus goes into the Pharisee's house, probably a courtyard, so that those who were on the street that were passing by could probably mingle in. And she had heard that Jesus was going to be there. Evidently, she had probably heard him at some point prior to that, and her life had been touched and affected, and maybe she had already come to faith, and she comes there to Jesus, and she comes into the house there where Simon is. Behold, the woman of the city, she was a sinner, and she learned that He was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, and she brought with her an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Picture the scene, if you will. Here's a woman who had lived her life as a prostitute, undoubtedly to, to have the means to survive. And she had been entrapped in this form of life and probably hated herself every day because that's what she was doing. 
And she hears Jesus, and there was something about what Jesus was saying that, that caused her to realize that there is forgiveness and that there is a God that loves her in the condition that she's in, and He wants to free her from the condition that she's in. And evidently she has placed or has some semblance of faith in Christ at this time. And she's so grateful because in her whole life she's never experienced this before. As a matter of fact, in her community, in her culture, all she experienced was condemnation and a lower run. And all of a sudden here's this man. And in that culture, that was a huge thing. It displayed love to her and forgiveness and grace. And she comes into the house and she takes her alabaster jar, which was a very expensive perfume, and most likely it was probably all of her life savings in that little jar. And she bows down at Jesus' feet. In those days, we know the roads weren't paved, his feet are dirty, they're dusty, and she bows down there, and her tears, overwhelmed with just God's love in her life, emotional, her tears begin to drip, and she takes her hair. Now, guys, I don't know about you. I stopped counting about 24 years ago. But you know how much money your wife spends on her hair every year? I mean, the most precious thing to her, her hair. And she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And, and then she starts kissing on his feet. Now, I don't even like to kiss clean feet, let alone dirty feet, Right? But she threw aside all of those barriers because she was so overwhelmed with God's goodness and grace and effect in her life that she does that. And as we read on in this story, we see Simon who's standing there. Remember, he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. says in verse 39, And when Simon the Pharisee saw who had invited him, who had invited him, saw this, saw this lady wiping Jesus' feet, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. You see, what Simon saw was only part of what was happening. Simon could see only through the eyes of, the best way to describe it, is a blind hypocrite. All that Simon saw was that this woman was a sinner. She had lived a sinful life. But he wasn't seeing what was behind and the reason and the cause as to why she was doing what she was doing. If I could kind of paraphrase, when Simon says, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Simon surely wasn't thinking in the sense that he would have this ability to know that she was this kind of civil woman. He was probably thinking of the law where it required these ceremonial purifications for the priest and the, and the prophet. He say, man, if he knew that that this woman was a sinful woman, he wouldn't let her do that. And if I can put it in my terms, it would be that... Simon was saying, doesn't he realize that religious folks don't associate with unrighteous people? That's really what Simon was thinking. 
if he knew what kind of woman this was. And the fact is, Jesus knew what kind of woman this was. He knew that she was a sinner. And if I were Jesus, I'd have turned to Simon and said, Yes, Simon, and so are you. And he tells us today, and so are you. Blind hypocrisy. I don't know what kind of life you lived before you came to Christ. I know what kind of life I lived before I came to Christ. But somehow or another, it's easy to get the idea that because we've come to Christ now and God's done all this amazing stuff in our life and, and we've learned to be more obedient to Christ and we're living a more Christ-like life as He transforms our life, it's easy to get in the judgmental side of the seat and point to those in another tribe and say, you know what, they're sinners. And it is a fact, they are. But we often forget where we came from. And we may not have lived a horrible life in outward sin, but the fact is, even if we had not, it's not the sin that we live, it's the fact that we are born in sin, and we're all capable of living in that type of sin. In other words, we're as far separated from God by our depravity as we could ever be. Paul, when he was writing the letter to Titus, he says this, reminding them. He says this in about three other letters as well. He says, listen, guys, I'm kind of putting it in, in paraphrase terms. He said, we ourselves were once foolish. Us Christians, he says. He's writing to the church. He says, remember, we too were foolish. We too were disobedient. We too were led astray. We were enslaved to various passions and pleasures. And it may not have been physical. It could have just been mental or emotional. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. We can never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact of where we are before Jesus saved us. And the reason we are what we are today is because of His blood and His grace. Can I have somebody say amen to that? We don't want to be like Simon. Jesus uses a story, a parable here with Simon in verses 41 to 43 to kind of begin to bring a point to him. And he says, Simon, there's, there was a certain money lender. In other words, there was a banker. Thomas? <laughs> there was a banker. Had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is about a day's wages. 500 days, Think, imagine almost working for two years, a year and nine months of wage. And one, the other owed 50 denarii. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them loved him more? <laughs> Can you imagine? How many of you have a mortgage? <laughs> You can't pay. What's Thomas going to tell you? <laughs> Sorry, Charlie, right? We have no ability to pay, and, and he forgives both of the debt. And then he asks a question, which one of these was more grateful? Now, if we're not careful, we'll get the idea that the right response, which he gave, I guess the one that owed the most, yeah, that's the one that's most grateful. Jesus is not talking here in relation to the, the parable, and the one that's sinned the most is forgiven the most, but it's the one who recognizes the breath of God's forgiveness, loves him the most. You see, I may have lived a clean life. 
I may have grown up, cut my teeth in the nursery, gone through Awana, the whole nine yards, been involved in the student ministry, and never gone astray in a visible way. But when we come to recognize that in us, every sin of the world is in our nature, then we come to Christ, He has not only forgiven those, but He's taken every one of those on Himself as a substitution for us. You see, that's the one that appreciates it more. So it's not the one that's been forgiven the most, or the most sins. It's the one who recognizes the depth of their depravity and realizes that God, by His grace, has forgiven all of that. So we go on in verse uh, 44. He turns to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus didn't mean literally, do you see this woman? Yeah, I see her. Well, I don't know. She's there. I can see her. Jesus is bringing a point here. Simon, do you see this woman? Or are you like those who have ears but never hear and eyes but can never see? Do you really see what's going on here, what's taking place? It makes me ask the question, do I really see those around me? Or am I so conditioned that that I only see based on my experience or what might be fed to me through social media or others in my tribe and say, no, I see this person as that, but never really see the person. We might put it this way. Do we see the person that they're created in the image of God? Regardless of what may be on the exterior... They are created in the image of God. And God loves them and God desires that they come to know Him so that they might be set free. Free indeed. Simon, do you see this woman? Am am I living my life in such a way, in such a fashion that, that I'm so caught up and busy that I fail to recognize the moments that God brings people across my path in my life that He really wants me to see them. To see them. I find that when I take the time to really see people, that, that those preconceived ideas about, that I formulated about those kind of folk, when I really see them, all of that goes away and I begin to see and recognize, yes, they've been created in the image of God and Satan has so bound them and deceived them that they've gotten caught in a trap and Jesus desires to free them and he wants me to share his love with them so that they might be set free. Right? Okay, that's the fear from our own tribe. Leading into that is that fear that we have of those that may be from another tribe. Those that don't share the same values that you and I might share. 
those who may be from a different culture than you or I may have come from. Those that may be of another ethnicity that you and I were born into. Those that may be of another nationality that you and I were born into. Those that may be of another generation that you and I may not relate to as much. Do you, do you get the picture? Those who have more than six piercings on their ear, but they've got them in their noses too and on their forehead. Right? Do I need to go on? We understand, right? There's, there's this fear. And what I'm afraid is that what has predicated much of that fear that we have is what the world feeds to us about those groups. And we know that the master of this world is who? It's Satan. And he does everything that he might be able to do to divide. And especially to the body of Christ. That we have this fear of engaging in that other tribe so that we might love them and share the love of Christ with them. I've gotten to where I, I can, if I can just, can I get on the rabbit box for a minute? I've, I've gotten to where I don't even want to watch television anymore because it seems like they're just baiting me, trying to cause me to have a fear or some prejudice against some group of people. And really what's behind that is they're jockeying for their own position and they're wanting to manipulate and use me in the process of it. Social media. <laughs> and I'm not harping against social media. But I just want to say, Christian, don't allow social media, don't let the media, don't let the politician shape your way of thinking. Let Jesus shape your way of thinking through the Word of God. And be willing to love thy neighbor. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus not only spoke of loving others, but he literally told us not just to love our neighbor, but he also told us to love our who? To love our enemy. But the message of the world is to recognize who your enemy is and shut them off and hate them and have nothing to do with them. That shouldn't be the way for the Christian, for the believer. It should not be that way for the Christ follower. We all have certain prejudices. Is that shocking to anybody? If you're here this morning and say you don't, you're not honest with yourself. And the prejudices that we have sometimes are, again, by experience, culture, my sin nature, my flesh has been conditioned to those prejudices. And in my life, as I've grown in Christ, I've recognized that many of those prejudices are no longer there, not because of anything that I've done, but because God, by the Holy Spirit, has shaped my heart and my mind such that they're, they're, they're no longer prevalent. However, I find that I still battle in my mind of leaning towards those old prejudices that were changed when I came to know Christ. Somebody else with me, or is it just me? Okay. 
And that's a good measure for me in my life to tell me whether or not I'm walking in fellowship with Jesus or not. Because those prejudices, those old ways of thinking come up that are triggered when I see those types of people or different things that I'm prejudiced to or what's been told of me about those kinds of people and the the prejudice wants to come up in my flesh. But if I'm walking in fellowship with Jesus, I say, no, I'm not going to yield to that. I'm not going to yield to that temptation of the flesh to have that prejudice and mindset. I'm going to take that thought captive, bring it into the submission of Christ. Christ, you've poured your love out in my heart. Maybe you give me the ability to love. I'm going to intentionally love them. You with me? But when I find that I like to massage that prejudice for a time, it's, it's an indication to me that I'm not close in fellowship with Jesus. See, because I think it's impossible for you and I to be in close fellowship with Jesus and not love the ones that He loves. I saw a sign that was posted on one of the social media sites a few weeks ago, and I love this sign. It's in front of a church. You'd really be reckless if you did this in the South, right? It says, love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, and sometimes they're harder to love, right? Okay? Thy atheist neighbor and thy disabled neighbor. In other words, when Jesus said, love thy neighbor, he didn't put conditions on it. He said, love your neighbor. But aren't all of them? But don't all of them? Some, but not all, right? Jim Bohan and Jim, I hope you don't mind, sent out an email last week. By the way, can I, do I have permission to use this? Okay, gave me permission. To the deacons on, on Saturday. And he had this, this same thing quoted. But, but Jim, I like yours because especially in the season that we're about to enter into, uh, Jim, Jim put on his email that not only we're to love all of these listed, but we're also to love thy politically opposite neighbor. Church, hear me. Please hear me. We can hold our political views, positions. But do not let the media on either side feed you the mess that says you're to hate the opponent. That is as far from what Jesus told us. You see, we're not nationality followers. We're followers of the king of a kingdom that is not of this world. And He has called us to be different. Not in a weird kind of way, but to be different. Set guard on your heart and your minds and don't allow the enemy to use these things to trail us down away from the greatest command that Jesus gave us, and that's to love thy neighbor.
Paul repeated this great command in the book of Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 14, he said, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, let's intentionally love our neighbor. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.